Hello, everyone, and welcome to another session of podcasting from the Robin School, the of, School Business. of Business, our favorite place. Being, uh oh, my dog's barking. Bear with me a minute. I think we scared the dog. We did scare the dog, but be that as it may. Um, Welcome, and today we're going to talk about chapter four. It's an exciting one, Megan. I know you've been thinking about this all day because it's so cool. Um, this particular podcast is about research, or, or the title of the chapter of chapter four is Marketing Information. And in a brief 20 minutes or so, okay, 30, um, Megan and I will tell you about research. But for those of you who are going to be marketing concentrators, guess what? You can get to take an entire 14-week semester in it. And it's just massive amounts of fun. Did you take that course, Megan? Oh, yeah. Of course How I did. Was it? it was wonderful. Who'd you have? Who was your professor? The very own Bill Bergman. For market research? No. Oh, no. Sorry. Um, I took market research in Italy. Smart. You can drink in class in Italy. That's a good place to take market research. But again, uh, as I said, what we're going to talk about today is, is really only in 20 minutes trying to tell you what an entire semester will, will accomplish. And I think in the, it's, it's well worth taking our market research class. It's a great one. So I guess the question is, and what's so important is why does, why do marketing firms and marketing people need research? What's the reason for that? You asking me? I don't know, I'm just asking. Mm, well, they have to understand their consumer and how they behave and they need to know how to position it in order to get it to sell. And so I think you need to be able to have a research area in your company that will figure that out for you and really like analyze the numbers. Absolutely. That's impressive, Megan. I'm, I'm impressed that you can remember that much. Um, you know, there, and there are all kinds of ways today, you know, the big term today is BD, big data. So you get all this data and uh, most organizations today are just overwhelmed with it. They're getting it online. They're getting it through research they do. They're getting it from social media. Um, and so they're getting big data and there are companies around <coughs> that actually analyze that data for you, give you insights to that data and help you understand your customer a little bit better. But what, and here come some terms in this chapter that are very, very important. What's the organization inside of your company that handles data for you? I don't really how, do well in the terms. How soon they forget. It's called Marketing Information Systems, MIS. Those are the dudes that get all the information coming from all directions. And they take that data in that department and they put it in a format that you can use. So if you're like a, a buyer at Bloomingdale's and you're the shoe buyer or something really exciting like that, 
every morning or nowadays, every day when you wake up and look at your computer, you now get a report from your MIS department telling you what you sold where, um, what store did the best, and how all that, that's all internal information that's coming to you internally from your MIS department. So it's, it's almost an inside database that helps the inside data that's being collected, put in formats that you can read and sent to you. Um, and it's called marketing information. So they develop information um, and there are any numbers of ways to develop. You can get it internally. The problem is this information gets old quick. So if you're finding one thing is selling well one week, it may not sell as well the next week. And as a result of that, you know, you got to constantly get fresh information. Um, and so there's lots of companies in the outside there that collect information and sell it. Um, and it's publicly available. And you know, because you spend so much time at the library. Okay, maybe not. But if you have to go find, we have all kinds of databases at U of R that you, that you can access through the library that can give you information, that can give you business data. That's an example of outside competitive intelligence. You know, another form of outside competitive intelligence in PepsiCo um, is a good example of this in Purchase New York. But at their Gatorade, Gatorade is one of their brands in Chicago. And, um, you know, if you go into their offices in Chicago, you can walk in one of these rooms and they have like 100, not 100, they probably have 50 TVs or 30 TVs on the wall. And they are constantly watching uh, social media platforms. What are people saying about Gatorade? And they're capturing all that information and putting it into reports that the marketing department uses. So I can get information coming at me from the MIS department, which is looking at actual sales. I can, I can, I can go to databases that exist in the outside world. I can do crazy stuff like monitor um, uh, data, the social media. Um, and, you know, if you go to these companies today, there are cool jobs like chief listening officer. Hmm. Daddy, daddy, I want to grow up to be a chief listening officer. I mean, you're going to go tell your parents that. Um, but put that aside for a second. Um, now, some of these companies have listening czars because so much information is out there. Someone's trying to make sense of it. So how do you define marketing research? What, what would you say is the definition of market research? Um, the definition of marketing research, I guess like, again, like I said earlier is understanding the consumer and the market and the logistics of each. Uh, I don't know what marketing i don't know how to define it but let me read you what our book says marketing an introduction um market research is the systematic design collection analysis and reporting of data relevant to a specific marketing situation facing an organization 
whatever. I'm not sure I know what that means exactly. Sounds good. I think what you're saying, what they're saying is you're trying to get insight into what's motivating someone to buy something. Why, you know, why do I insist on buying Bombas socks? What's going on in my psycho head um, that makes me want to go to Bombas to buy them? And, you know, some companies, um, Procter & Gamble, Unilever, have internal research departments that go out and try to talk to consumers on an ongoing basis to find it. Others use outside research companies to do it for them. So there are a number of ways to approach it in a number of ways that you can do it, but you have to get insight. And the whole purpose of research, and it's probably one of the key elements of a marketing function is to understand what, what, what's in people's heads and why are they doing what they're doing? So I'm gonna now give you three kinds of research. Don't get too excited here, everyone. This is, this is big stuff um, that exists in the marketplace that people talk about. There's exploratory research. So if I ask them, what does that mean? Megan's gonna say exploring information, right? Yeah. Impressive. Um, you can always tell a senior in the, the intense knowledge they have. <laughs> you know, it's re exploratory research is really defining the problem, you know, where you don't have too much information. Let's say your company wants to go into the water business, you know, the bottled water business. Exploratory research would simply be going out and talking to consumers and saying, hey, what bottled water do you drink? Oh, you don't drink bottled water. You buy one of those things and you, you get tap water and you put it in and it filters it through and you put that in your refrigerator. You're just trying to figure out what's going on out in the marketplace and what are people think. It's just general kind of research. That's called what? Exploratory research. Impressive, impressive. The next kind is descriptive. Hmm. Don't know what that is. That's a little, you're getting a little more intense here. It's like, hey, I want to know people who drink Starbucks coffee, not just the entire coffee. You getting bored there, Miss, Miss Mancini? No, never. Okay. Um, let's say we do exploratory research and we're just trying to find out what coffee do you drink? Oh, we find out you really like Starbucks and I'm trying to introduce a new coffee. I may go do descriptive research and really dig into what you think about Starbucks. Um, I think the book describes it as Descriptive is to describe things. Mm, that's worth a lot of money, such as market potential or demographics or attitudes of consumers who buy the product. So you're really focused on a specific product. And the third kind of research to help you define your problem is called causal. Any idea what that is? What causes? Impressive, <laughs> you got it again. Um, you're really testing causes and effects of things. So if you say, hey, there's gonna be a 50% decline in tuition at the University of Richmond, woohoo, more people will apply. If you say, hey, we're gonna raise, although I can't imagine that, raise our tuition by 50%, fewer people will apply. So you, in causal resource, you're really testing 
to see what are the limits you can push pricing, for example. So again, we have three kinds of research to help you define a, a consumer problem. We have exploratory, we have descriptive, and we have causal. Any questions about that from the audience who's listening? I don't hear anything, do you, Meg? I guess they understand it, that's great. All right, so let's, let's get into some, now some big issues in the world of research. So there are two kinds of research that I always think about uh, when I'm putting together a program. There's secondary research and there's primary research. And any idea what secondary research is? It's just going on to like the web. Safari, Google Chrome, and looking up stuff that you need to know. Two years later, and she still got this stuff. I'm impressed. Secondary research is data that exists already. It's available anyplace. Anybody can go get it. So I can go to the library, and I can get it. I can go to Google, and I can find it. It's available in the public sphere. And what's primary research? Actually doing it yourself and going and finding out facts and information from customers. Exactly. It's, it's really data collected for a specific purpose. I want to find out why people buy Apple versus, versus Mac, why people buy a, a Mac versus a PC. I have to go in and talk to them. I have to create my own questionnaire. I have to go in and do the research. So secondary research exists out in the marketplace. Primary research, you have to create yourself. What's more expensive? Primary research. Absolutely. Um, primary research involves time, effort, energy, and going out and, and gathering information. Oh my gosh, a former student. Maybe we could call her. She would love to participate in our lovely podcast we're filming yeah. right now. Oh, okay. We'll come get you in a few minutes. Um, you may want to edit that part out. <laughs> um, so, so we got primary and secondary. If you're doing a sort of preparing a research plan for a client, what would you do first? Would you do primary research first or secondary research? Probably secondary research to understand more of what they're asking and then you go to primary because Megan's I, out of control today you're absolutely correct anytime you're doing research for a company you start with secondary what's out there what exists already can I go find what people how what restaurants people eat at what kind of um beer do they drink um and that information is readily available when you can't find any like specifics, like why are they going to Panera Bread um, and you need to find that out, then you have to go get specifics and you do primary research. So we have secondary research, we have primary research, we have exploratory, descriptive and causal research. Everybody cool? But wait, there's more. And it gets even more exciting here. So let's talk about primary research. And the, the simplest form of, and, and probably most used form of primary research is observational research. And observational research is nothing fancy. It's just watching people 
and gathering information about what they're doing, which may be relevant to your product. I mean, if you're interested in coffee, you could go sit at Starbucks and watch people drink it and buy it. Um, it's simply observing. Can you think of an example of a, or a form of observational research? Watching people shop. Yeah, I, I think you could even say, that's pretty intense there, Megan. Um, I think you could even say focus group research. You know, you guys know what a focus group is, where they bring you into a room, you sit and talk to somebody about a product, and some people are looking at you behind a one-way mirror. They're observing you. They're observing what you're doing. Um, and observational research is the simplest and most popular form of primary research. So the next kind of primary research we're going to talk about is ethnographic research. Anybody know what that is? How soon they forget. Um, ethnographic research is a form of observational research but it uses a professional to observe. So instead of Megan Mancini running the focus group, not that she couldn't do a good job, we get a PhD in psychology running the focus group to try to understand more in depth of what's going on. So we have observational, we just watch people. Ethnographic, we bring in a shrink to watch people to get deep insights. Here we go for number three, netnographic research. Don't let her leave. Um, netnographic research. So netnographic research is basically a form of observational research in which you are observing people online, not in a creepy way but you may have an online focus group where you talk to people online. It may be as much as uh, that where Gatorade, where people for Gatorade are watching what people are saying on social media. That's a form of netnographic research where you're watching what they're saying and doing. What's survey research? Just, you know, handing I know, out- sending out a survey, right? Survey research is gathering primary data by asking people questions about their knowledge, their attitudes, their preferences, and buying behavior. So survey research is, you've all done it, I know you have, where you send out a question, you get a questionnaire in the mail. You may even go to Starbucks or Panera or um, Chipotle and and you on your receipt, it says, hey, get a dollar off your next meal. If you answer these questions, go to this website. And they ask you a survey. They survey your opinions. Um, so in this day and age, here come some test questions. In this day and age, surveys can take a lot of different forms. They can take the form of a mail. You could get a, a direct mail piece that says, fill out the survey, send it in. You can get a telephone call that says, hey, can we ask you some questions? Who are you going to vote for for president? Um, 
You can have a personal interview where somebody stops you in the mall and asks you some questions. You know, focus group is a form of surveying. It's personal interviewing. It's more observational. There's lots of online market research like we talked about. Um, so survey research is probably the most, is, is very popular today in which you get all kind of information. Um, and again, it can be in the mail form. It could be a telephone call. It can be a personal interview. It can be focus group or it can be online marketing. Um, but there's another form of research that has been evolving um, and it's not in your book. So don't panic. I know you didn't buy the book anyhow, just kidding. Um, and, and bottom line is, I think the way a lot of companies start today is they just take their product, they create a website and they put it up there. That's how Warby Parker started. That's how Bombas started. That's how Dollar Shave Club started. And that's basically a form of experimental research um, in which I'm actually gathering primary data from people actually buying and using my product. So the whole days of, uh, and I think we have a good case on this where we, we look at gum, where Wrigley's was trying to introduce a new gum and did all this research, that, that's old time religion. In this day and age with direct to consumer selling, lots of times people just create a site, put their products up there and see who buys it. And that's the best form of research that you can get. So just in summary, just in case you've been snoozing through this podcast, which I know, um, you know, companies are constantly looking for data um, they're, they're getting it in lots of ways. There's an internal department called marketing information systems that gives you the data. How do you define the problem? You can, you can do exploratory analysis, descriptive research, or causal research. There's primary data, there's secondary data. Secondary data you find because it's available in this public sphere. So you can go online and get Get, get information. Um, primary data takes the form of observational, ethnographic, netnographic, survey, and experimental uh, research. That's a lot of stuff. We did it in what? How many minutes, Megan? 23. Impressive. You can take it in 14 weeks. Um, but we condensed it into 23 minutes here. So we're pretty excited about that. Um, I encourage you to read this chapter. And if you have any questions, let me know. I'm not going to stop, but we're going to go here and talk to somebody. Okay. Who do we want to talk to? We want to talk to your roommate. Let me see if she's still in that building. Should I pause this? Yeah. Once again, take two. Um, we're especially thrilled to have one of our back row alum from Principles of Marketing, MKT 320. I forgot what section, but Romy Tuforo, who was a back row uh, resident 
which meant you never knew if she was sound asleep or paying attention. But she paid attention toward the end, else her group would have never gotten through this whole thing. Um, so Romy, we are anxiously talking, excitedly talking about market research. I know one of your favorite areas. Yeah. Um, do you remember anything from that class? Um, do you want me to ask you a question? Would that help? Yeah, that'd probably help. So tell me the difference between primary research and secondary research. Um, from, what I, <laughs> from what I remember, is primary research done by oneself? Yeah, and what's secondary? Um, secondary is already out in the world. Impressive. One year later. Yeah. This PP and Z, PP and L. PP and L. PP and L major can regurgitate the non uh, the wonderful things she learned in principles of marketing. Hey, can you tell me what observational research means? Um, it's when you don't interact with the subjects. Maybe. You don't, but you just observe them doing stuff. So you had a pretty fancy, impressive internship this summer. Um, tell me about anything that you did this summer that related to research. Um, I, I interviewed some women. Yes. So that was um, a type of research. She did. I, I even was observing it yeah. uh, when she did it. Um, it. I guess that would be called a personal interview. I would call it that, yes. Yeah. And how many people did you interview? Um, I think 13. I ended up doing 13. And was it pretty challenging or was it easy? Um, it was... It depended on the person, but it was interesting. Because? Um, the women's experiences were insightful. And did you do it by telephone or did you do it by Zoom or did how'd you do it? I did it by Zoom recording. Okay, and how was that, okay? It was fun. How would you have preferred someone else to do it and you got the information or did you enjoy doing it yourself? I enjoyed doing it. I thought the personal connection was nice. Okay. And if you had to do that whole thing again, would you do it differently? Not the internship. We know you do that differently, but would you, would you on the research side, what did you learn by interviewing 13 people? Not, not the information they give you, but the process of doing it. Um, some people will be more helpful than others. So I guess it just kind of depends. I think the numbers were necessary because some, some like were more helpful than others. Yeah, I'm always fascinated by that, that some people will tell you stuff and others just won't. Yeah. And, you know, for a while, you'll keep poking at them and then you go, I don't care. Yeah, you know, I think you sat on with a one that was a lawyer. She, she was, was good. Pretty, she was, yeah. She was pretty good. Careful what she said. 
I'm sorry? She was careful what she said as a lawyer. You could tell. Um, so how was it taking principles of marketing as a non-marketing major? Was it kind of, I mean, was it BS or did you think you learned some stuff in it that is useful or was it just one of those things I took and? Um, I thought it was very useful. I feel like I remember a decent amount when you utilize it. Like primary, secondary, I'm sorry? Pretty versatile information. And what have you utilized? Um, <laughs> marketing tactics, I feel I can recognize better, okay. like advertisements and stuff. I can market myself better um, in interviews and stuff. Yeah. Um. I, th I think in terms of self-marketing, that's for sure. I, I, I do think one thing you do get out of the class um, is that you're just more aware of what's going on. Yeah. And I mean, especially Dr. Carlson. Second choice. <laughs> um, I, I do think you get to learn, you know, especially in the world of digital today where there's so much retargeting and and um, you're, you're just being beat up all day long when you go onto your phone or you go online. So um, any advice you give to our students who are taking this course, who are like sophomores and juniors? Um, Marketing-wise or just in life? <laughs> I, I, I try to stick to the marketing side of it. <laughs> Um, hmm. I think that you can make some pretty good friends in the class. <laughs> That's and the back row that. stuff, right? Yeah, the back row, pretty, pretty important stuff happening back there. Okay. Well, we genuinely appreciate you uh, taking time out of your busy schedule and coming in for this interview today. Um, any, anything else you want to add in our personal interview here? Not that I can think of. Thanks for having me. Well, it's always an honor to have someone from New Jersey in an interview and especially an alum who uh, inhabited the back row. So thank you so much. You're welcome. We're now at that point in the podcast where we where we try to recall a historical moment in the world of marketing and advertising that might be of interest to those of you who are listening. And we always change up the music here just to make sure you're listening. So hopefully that new introduction kind of woken you up after listening to, to my former student, Romy, motivate you so much to continue studying here. Um, but I, you know, I, I think it, it may be interesting to recall a um, focus group that that we did for. Um, I, I can recall two, um, one for a client that you probably maybe have heard of, maybe not. It's called Golden Corral Restaurants. Little gross. Um, these are. Uh, uh, um, 
buffet restaurants where you pay something like $16.95 and you can eat as much as you can possibly eat. And needless to say, the people who dine at these restaurants tend to be a little on the plump side. They're not your people who are out and about running 15 miles a day. So we were doing focus group for this North Carolina-based company that owns Golden Corral. And they gave us a list of names of people who had dined at Golden Corral. And they wanted to know, you know, what were the things they liked most about Golden Corral? And what were the thing, what were, why did they come there over other restaurants? So we set up three focus groups around the, I think it was three or four around the country. And we went and talked to them and they came into the room, maybe 10 of them for a focus group. And, and we, and we, it was more uh, ethnographic because we had a PhD psychologist conducting the focus group. It wasn't Bill Bergman. Um, and what did we find? Don't jump in on this, Megan. Uh, what did we find? What we found was that it took like 35 minutes for anyone in the room to admit they went to Golden Corral. All they would constantly say is, oh, I go to, um, I, I go to all these fancy restaurants like Red Lobster. Um, what's another one? Um, Outback. Outback. You know, they, I mean, literally for 30 minutes, 35 minutes, they were saying how great all these restaurants were. And then, and again, we knew they had gone to Golden Corral. So we knew they were heavy users of Golden Corral. So finally, one of them kind of goes, I went to something like that. He started coughing. He didn't really say it very loud. And it was Golden Corral. And then everybody else was like, yeah, I went there too. And yeah, I went there. And they all started talking about going to Golden Corral. And, you know, the reason I bring this up is because people may not tell you, it takes a while for people to tell you what's on their minds. And I think Romy was trying to say that because you can't just interview somebody, ask them a bunch of questions and hang up the phone. You've got to give them the freedom to kind of ease up, feel comfortable talking. Um, and I, I don't think people felt comfortable talking about going to Golden Corral. So focus groups, what people tell you they're going to do is not exactly what they're going to do. And I think if you look at voting patterns around the country, people say, oh, yeah, I'm going to go in and vote for this person. And then they vote for somebody else. So you got to really dig in. And in, in find that out. Another example is one that we did for Motel 6. Anybody know what Motel 6 is? It's that low end um, places to stay when you're traveling. Um, it's kind of a step below Holiday Inn. Um, so it, it's a little on the, the downscale side. And, you know, we interviewed people in a, I'd say, 10 focus groups. And we kept hearing something to the effect of, especially from women, like especially from women who were in sales and were traveling, it's like, I'm not staying at Motel 6. And you'd poke at them and you'd say, why are you not staying at Motel 6? And it's like, I don't know, I just, I just don't like Motel 6. And what did they finally say? What did we finally learn, Megan? They went to Motel 6? 
the reason they stayed at Motel 6 when they stayed there or when they felt uncomfortable staying there is Motel 6 is one of those um, um, motels where you enter into a hall that's exposed. If the hallway is not enclosed, you drive up in your car and you walk right in the door. And women thought, you know, I'm, I don't feel comfortable doing that. Uh, there could be somebody out here. I could get robbed. I could get knifed. I could get mugged. Guys said the same thing too. And so from that standpoint, we took that information. We brought it back to the people at Motel 6 based in San Antonio, Texas, where it can get pretty hot in June, July, and August. And we told them that. And what they did were two things. One, they improved the lighting at Motel 6. So if you drive by a Motel 6, um, you will see that the lights at night are pretty bright. And, and we came up with the theme line of what? We'll leave the light on for you. Um, and we used Tom Bodette, who was an NPR guy out in uh, Oregon, I think. And I think they're still running that same stuff today. Um, but it was really to say, don't be scared. It's well lit. You can get in your room without getting knifed. Unless, of course, you live in DC and you're going to the inauguration. Kidding, that was humor. So that's our moment. Two focus groups, two learning experiences. And we thank you. And we're both Megan and I are going to say goodbye from the Robin School. School of Business. Until next time, talk to you soon.